Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Murder of Jennifer Servo. Hey, Chris. Hola, Brandy. Today's a special day, babe. It is a special day. Aren't, well, I mean, we always have special days. We always have But this have is an extra days. special day. <laughs> it is, today we're releasing our 100th episode. That's I know. pretty awesome. I know. It's a great milestone. It's really great. I'm really proud of us. Really proud of the show. But honestly, this really is for our listeners. A huge thank you to all of you for supporting us. Um, if we didn't get your messages and your um, requests and your questions and your your interactions with us, this wouldn't be as fun for us, Chris. So oh, I totally agree. I mean, that's the only way you can have a hundred episodes if, is if people stick around and, yeah. and listen yeah. and are engaged. Um, and I love the engagement. It's my favorite thing. I've said that so many times. So thank you friends. Um, and thank you, Chris, for uh, going along with this. Well, thank you. Crazy Brandy, idea. For <laughs> in, in, including me in your crazy idea. <laughs> Anytime, babe. All right. This week, honey, we are sipping on a Viognier from Firelight Vineyards. A very delicious Viognier. God, it was so good. And you made a delicious meal with us. Well, thank this. you. So I, I can't wait to it share a, it with our friends. It was an interesting meal. So we'll talk about it. But yes. it, yeah, it was fun. Fun to make and um, had inspiration to make it. So I can't wait to hear about it. Um, okay, honey, are you ready to jump into the case? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, friends, it's time to sip some wine and talk some crime. All right. So as always, we want to give you a few facts about the city our crime takes place in. So let's learn a few things about Abilene. Shall we? Shall we? Number one, Taco Bueno started in Abilene in 1967 by Bill Waugh, an Abilene Christian College art graduate. The first store was located in Abilene on South First Street. Taco? Did you know that? I did not know. I didn't even know Taco Bueno was from like a Texas entity. Yeah, um, I had no idea. Yeah, love me some Taco Bueno. <laughs> I do too. Chips, yeah. uh, all well, right. We just mentioned you. Come on, Taco Bueno. Yeah, come on. Come on, Taco Bueno. We'll, we'll, and we love your food. We'll find a pairing for some Mexi <laughs> dips and chips and some party oh. party burritos. Yes, yes. The original party burrito and all these other places. All right, listeners, good. tag some Taco Bueno for us. Right. Number two, a few famous people came out of Abilene. Um, actor Randall Tex Cobb. Oh, yes. Love Randall Tex Cobb. All right. I you thought even, you would. You I thought you is? would. I, uh, the name sounds familiar. I don't know if I can put the face with it, though. Probably one of his more um, recognizable roles is from Raising Arizona. He's the <gasps> motorcycle oh my the, gosh, the yes. outlaw that, and whatever you call him, a yes. bounty hunter that they hire to God, that was a great find movie. high. That's a great movie. I want me a baby high. <laughs> NFL athletes also came out of Abilene. Case Keenum. These are NFL athletes. Mm -hmm. Terry Orr, Johnny Knox, Bill Jones, and Justin Snow. Do you know any of those? Case Keenum. I'm okay. familiar with Terry Orr. Okay. Um, I don't know. All the other guys. Um, sound just curious. Like typical NFL football player. I wasn't familiar with any of them, so I was just asking. <laughs> Johnny right. Knox. And a musician, Jessica Simpson, is from Abilene. I think I knew that. No, you know what? I knew she was from Texas, but I didn't know she was from Abilene. Maybe, Why did I think she was from Arlington? That's what I've always understood. Maybe um, she was born there. I think so. Yeah, she definitely was born there because I double-checked my Kind of like fact. Waylon Jennings is from... Um, Oh gosh, what's the little town? Where did we stop? Took, took a picture. Oh, of I knew you were going to ask me names. But I think that's like the birthplace. <laughs> yes, but um, I don't think he spent like like grew up there. Yeah, so, and it may be the same thing with her her birthplace. And then um, they moved. Yeah, I always thought she was from Arlington. Yeah, 
Anyways, uh, number three, the first church to ever open in Abilene was a Presbyterian church. It opened two weeks before Abilene even became a town officially. So which the, the, the church plant, definitely comes before the state. Plant their, uh, the first to plant their flag. Yes, yes. All right, well, there are your facts. Uh, I've always been curious to know that little corner where your um, family's church is, where there's like seven all churches all opposing <laughs> one another. It, who was the first the battle one? of the churches? I'm telling you, it's crazy. Ooh, I bet you we could find that out in our little city records. It's a good question, honey. That'd be something interesting to go. That is very interesting. I'm just, you know, I think it's just awesome that they can do that on four corners of a street and create and knowing that that is their, the people who live in that area. Right. And I mean, those churches are still standing, going strong and they've been mm-hmm. there ever since I can remember Absolutely. being a kid on September 16th, 2002, 22, year old Jennifer Servo was found bludgeoned and strangled to death in her apartment bathroom in Abilene, Texas. Chris, she was just seven days shy of her 23rd birthday. What happened to Jennifer Servo? Uh, Okay, Chris, this case remains unsolved. So this is an unsolved case we are going to talk about. Um, This September of 2023 will be the 21st year that her family has had to live with not knowing who took Jennifer's life. Mm, That's a shame. Jennifer Olson Servo was born in Columbia Falls, Montana on September 23rd, 1979. When she turned 17 and finished high school, Chris, she decided to join the Army Reserves. Uh, Her parents were not happy about this. They did not want her to join the Army Reserves, but she told her parents, this is a great way for me to go to college. They will pay for college. Um, And even though they didn't agree, the parents end up signing the enlistment papers. And in 1997, she started basic training. So she goes into the Army, um, Army Reserves after high school. She will eventually enroll in um, communications, study communications at the University of Montana. She gets into radio. She starts to get into television more. Um, She was making friends. She was very well liked. She was a part of her local college radio station, along with a few other other stations in the area. But this was her passion. She was getting very passionate about doing this. Um, and, And she did. When she finished school, she decided to apply for a job in Abilene um, at a what their most popular TV station, right? So this is KRBC in Abilene. So she gets the job, Chris, and she's very excited. I mean, this is, she's 22 years old. And, you know, now she now she gets to make a big move to Texas. Um, she, uh, I'm mm-hmm. assuming as a, a news anchor. A news anchor, yes. Uh, Chris, she told friends and coworkers and anyone that she knew that she wanted to be the next Katie Couric. I mean, she had her eyes set on being a, a news anchor woman, and that's what she wanted. What prompted all this? I guess did she develop this mm-hmm. interest in the in the army in the communication? Um, probably. I mean, I'm sure. Um, you know, she's very social. She, um, started to make friends and peers. She was volunteering, I do believe, at the radio station in college when she started, um, to to more develop into like becoming the news anchor. Because I think she was on just voice radio um, when she was at the school. But she's majoring in communications. She's getting into TV, getting into radio. And then based on just everything she was doing in college, a news anchor woman, the next Katie Kirk is what she um, set her eyes on. Uh so you now this is a this is a very exciting time. This is 22 years old. You are about to make a big move. 
But in the months leading up to getting that job in Abilene, Chris, she begins dating someone by the name of Ralph Sepulveda. Now, he is a former army ranger when he meets Jennifer. Chris, he's 34 years old and she's 22. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. Now, I agree. This is a very significant difference for someone Jennifer's age. Now, I want I want to phrase that because if you are a 34-year-old and now you have a 34, 35-year-old dating like a 43, 44-year-old, that's not so strange. But when you're 22 and you have someone who's 34, I think that's a big difference. They haven't lived their life yet. Their brains aren't even fully developed at 22, right? Now- I'm just thinking about how much partying he had to do at that age, too, because 22-year-old can last a hell of a lot longer than 34 (laughs) as far as going out on the the down. Well, when she receives news of this, instead of thinking like, okay, Ralph, I'm going to go start my life in Texas, Chris, she starts talking about him moving with her. And they have only been dating not very long at all. Her family did, did not know him very well at all. She didn't even know him very well at all from what from what I have read and researched. Um, I don't know if she just didn't want to go alone. You know, I try to think if I'm 22, you know, does she feel like it would be an easier move for her? She could get adjusted. She would have someone with her. You know, I do think of that like 22 year old mind. And that could have been that could have just been very, very well lit. We don't know. We don't know the conversations they were having. Um, and because they're only dating a short time and they're discussing this possibility, you know, this is a very big decision. And, um, you know, her friends and family thought he was this bad boy that was going to eventually go away because she just got out of a very long-term relationship before Ralph. So her family thought, you know what, he's very different than what Jennifer has been, has dated in the past. So, The guy full of tattoos, he's older, he's more of a bad boy. Her parents thought, you know what? It's just a phase. Ralph will eventually go away, and now she's moving to Texas. Is that what your parents said about me with my tattoos (laughs) and my Well, we were a different age. I was a little, I was not, well, I was 25, 26. But you're not, you're not that much older than me. I was 31. You were. But that's not even that big of an age difference, I guess. 22 and 30 Chris we have a 22 year old if she brought a 34 year yeah if she brought a 34 year old guy home we would yeah, not 22 be happy. is way different than 26 agreed it, it really is it really is okay so her family when she goes and tells them that he's moving with her so he says yes they decide they're going to take on this adventure and move to Texas together her parents are appalled. They are not happy about this. They do not want her to move with him. Um, but but he does. Chris, she's only in Texas three months before she's killed. Three months. That's uh, that's just, um, I mean, that's barely even. Time starts, to get your feet wet, right? Know, yeah, I was going to say start your whole new career and everything. Jennifer and Ralph move into an apartment in Abilene and start their new life. But Chris, the bliss doesn't last long. Three weeks after moving, Jennifer discovers that he had a fiance in Montana when they met, um, but broke it off with her when he met Jennifer. She also found out he had a child that he never saw. Jennifer's family will go on to say this was the deal breaker for her. 
And now, great. baby, we're already in a t- we're already in a wine recess. Already in a wine recess. We're already in a wine recess. So I'm, ju- I'm just dying for them for you to tell them what you made them because them made it was evening. so cool. Well, we had um, we've cooked a lot of I, I would say save more savory, heavier dishes and drink it. S ton of red wine here yes, recently. We have. So we want to switch gears. So I wanted to go something a little lighter. And um I was um wanting to make some sea bass. And so I have a, a very delightful Chilean friend at work. And so I was talking to him about, you know, Chilean recipes and uh, we're talking about sea bass and sides and things. And so what I chose to make was a um sea bass shrimp and sea bass. And uh, kind of prepared, it's uh, like in papiote would be the French term, but it's uh, essentially like you, you know, we have fish and these vegetables and savory herbs and things uh, wrapped in parchment paper that you, you know, layer with oil all around so it doesn't burn, of course, and cook in the oven. So everything kind of steams and all the, you know, ingredients kind of meld together. So it was a, um, I would say, more Chilean kind of in, in the sense of using the, those types of herbs and some, you know, peppers, shallots, red. Uh, we actually, um, one thing too, for all the dishes uh, that required wine for this meal, I did use the Viognier. And yeah, so, she um, did. so kind of an olive oil, um, lemon and the white wine sauce, you know, and so everything is kind of, po- I don't want to say it poaches, it kind of steams with the vegetables, it kind of poached the liquid. So, and the neatest thing, of course, is when it's prepared, you know, you comes to your plate and you have this little, treasure on your plate that's it was a treasure you know the uh the sea bass and shrimp are calling saying open me open me see what's inside <laughs> and eat me, see what the I treasure did. is in here i didn't say anything to chris that whole dinner i just yeah, ate and ate. i did not yeah. talk yeah you didn't talk much um but in addition to that um one of the other items that because i was asking my friend i'm like well, you know what are, what are sides is like you know it's it's not like here in the states you don't have all these different sides i mean it's they keep it very simple and so one thing he suggested was an ensalada de chiliana, which is a, essentially darn near pico de gallo, but a little tomato and uh, onion salad with some citrus and cilantro, and then made a asparagus mushroom risotto. And so I used the wine in the risotto preparation as well, too. I had two servings of risotto. I would have had two servings of fish if we would have had extra. It yeah, was I so did, good. Yeah. I only. Yeah, I had I your leftover risotto. Your risotto was. Baby, top notch. It well, was so good. Thank you. It was absolutely delicious. It's a pain in the ass to cook, but <laughs> it, is. it does come. It tastes good. Oh man! And, but the wine was delicious. So, in in uh, you know the to me the the wine had um, certainly kind of some citrusy notes to it. Yeah. I think on the back it says apricot, and so yeah, it's very um, very full. I, I mean, I, I I thought it went really well with it. It did. It was I was so sipping good. on a little bit before as I was cooking, you know, because <laughs> of course. The, because the, the recipes called for it. And I had to open it. And it's like, you can't just leave an open bottle of wine, but really liked it. Um, it was great. And they're very close to us here. They are right like in a, Valley right, View, Texas. Yeah, we say right down the street, but you know, it, it is just a little hop up the freeway mm-hmm. from where we're at. And so um, we'd like to go visit them sometime and, and kind of get to know them. Yes, we would. Um, Firelight Winery, um, Firelight Vineyards, excuse me, located right there in Valley View, Texas on North Lee Street. They have a tasting room, Chris. They have a bistro you can munch while you sip on their wine. Uh, they do Thirsty Thursday, uh, Thirsty Thursday, which is first and third Thursdays with live music from noon to eight. So friends, go check them out. Firelight Vineyards right there in Valley View, Texas. Tell them your friends at Texas Wine and True Crime sent you. 
Honey, the food was absolutely delicious. Yeah, you made it I'll, very I'll get, special for I'll our get, 100th episode. So I'll get thank the you. Recipe out as soon as I can, and so in the you know definitely yes. check out the pictures. It's it's a cool little presentation. That's what I need to do is, is take take the um, take the meal we prepare with their wine and go let them sample for their thirsty. Oh thirsty. yes, I love that. All right, Firelight, <laughs> if you're know, listening, I don't, I don't know if that sea bass is going to make that trip all the way up there. I might have to make that while I'm up there, but. But yeah, it was it was cool. It was fun it was to make. So good. yeah, we and don't forget, ones. you can get all of Chris. Um, we always forget to tell our friends go to Patreon. You can get all of your recipes, Chris's recipes, for five bucks a month. And he's gonna he just put his ribs um, um, with your sauce with your yummy delicious barbecue sauce on there. He's gonna put this one on there. So go, um, you can help support the show too. So we appreciate it. But yeah, go check out Patreon and uh, get your hands on some of these recipes because, babe, it's good. Thank you. It's good stuff. And all all very simple to make everything. I don't, I think. No, we try to, you you definitely try yeah, to keep I mean, it simple. I try to keep it simple. Yeah. And even if you saw this, it'd be like, wow, that look like, looks like a lot of work. And it's literally something you come home and do after work. Yeah, and, and which you did. Yeah, which I did, <laughs> yes. All right, honey, let's get back into the case. Jennifer Servo has just found out that Ralph Sepulveda is not the person she thought he was, Chris. After finding out this information about the fiance and the child, she is extremely upset and wants out of this relationship. Um, she tells a coworker, um, Chris, which is she hasn't been there very long, right, in Texas, and um, she shares some um, some information with someone there that Ralph tried to um, sort of choke her during intercourse, and this really bothered her. Hmm. Um, so that is one something that did come forward like after into, her murder. Into some masochism or some sort. Uh, yeah, but almost like she was not okay with it, as though that conversation didn't take place before something like that actually happening. So I think it, I think it scared her a little bit. I think that would scare me too. Yeah. Um, so she breaks up with him. Okay, she breaks up with him. She kicks him out of the apartment. Okay, this is th- I won't ever want to think about this. This guy has uprooted from Montana to Texas. Over a thousand miles he moved with Jennifer. Now, this isn't his, her fault. He's a, he's a liar, and she found out, okay? But I can see how this would make him very upset. He She's kicked him out. She's found out information about him. He's moved away from Montana to Texas with her. He now has no job, no place to stay. Um... And now how do you feel being Ralph? So I want everybody to just remember that because he is a suspect in this case. Well, um, I would think he'd be the number one suspect. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris, we have, a gro- yeah, we have a grown man that dropped his whole life. She breaks up with him and now he's homeless and no job in Abilene. But he does bounce back. Um, people say that he tried to reconcile with her once. They don't know about it twice or a third time, but they do know one time. Because uh, p- she shared this information with people, he came back and asked for a reconciliation, and she just said it's not happening. So he decides he's going to stay in Abilene. He gets a job, he gets an apartment, and he seems to be moving on. Um, friends will say that after the split, Jennifer was doing great. She starts going out with the coworkers. She's hanging out with people at the station. She's adjusting to her life in Abilene and seems to be doing just fine. That might piss Ralph off if he's not doing just fine, right? Mm -hmm. So she's moving on, um, and she starts to make friends with a guy named Brian Travers. 
I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. It might be Brian Travers. Uh, but Brian is 23 years old. He's starting out his career just like Jennifer. Um, they're at the same TV station. They seem to be hitting it off. Now, Brian definitely had a crush on her. He will eventually say that they were intimate. Um, I don't know how many times, but he did say there was some intimacy between the both of them. But because of what she had just gone through with Ralph, people knew that Jennifer made it very clear to Brian that she did not want to be in a relationship. She did not want to be tied down. She wanted to focus on her career. And I don't blame her. If I, I mean, what she had just gone through with this guy and making him leave the apartment, I'm sure at this point she's realizing, wow, I should have left him in Montana, right? Yeah, I, would, I should have I come here by that. myself. If I'm thinking like a 22-year-old, I should have just come here. My parents were right. I, you know, but I'm not going to be bogged down in a new relationship. So I'm going to let Brian know. And Chris, she told someone else, I think Brian is starting to get like this really big crush on me. And I kind of need to tell him what's up. So she does. And it didn't seem, at least from their perspective and people that knew the both of them, that this, it didn't seem to bother him. They still hung out as friends. In fact, the night she's killed, he's with her. He's with her. Um, and then and then she goes home. This is when she's found bludgeoned and strangled to death in her bathroom. There is no sign of forced entry. So the police believe Jennifer knew her murderer and there's no murder weapon found at the scene. According to Brian, after they finished the news on September 15th, 2002, he and Jennifer picked up a coffee table from a friend's apartment. After doing that, they go to Walmart to do a little shopping and Chris, this is when he will eventually tell police that Jennifer said to him in the car, I think we're being followed. Um, the problem with this is we don't have Jennifer to tell us if she really said that to Brian. So think about if Brian had anything to do with this. From a questioning perspective, he can be saying that to throw investigators into a different place than him, right? If they're being followed, there's someone else that was out to get her. This is a this is a very just ta clever tactic that people sometimes will do to deter them from the investigation. Well, I can certainly understand that, yes. I mean, it's um Now, not to say it isn't true. I'm not no, saying that. We just don't know if it's true. And I mean, me just thinking too that her ex being a former army ranger that that's someone who probably wouldn't know how to track someone yep. because that's yep. kind of what the Rangers do. Yep. And so track and follow and, um, you know, try to stay out of sight, of course, but yep. I don't know. I mean, I think it just, it could just be circumstantial as well too. It just so happens that. Yeah. I mean, she, they could have very well being followed because if they were, if this is in fact true, I believe the person following them is the one is the person that killed her because they're watching her. They're stalking her. She will eventually be alone after the in, at the end of this night. She will end up back in her apartment by herself. Um, and that's when she's murdered. So if they are being followed and Brian's story is true, and he tells her, I think you're just imagining things. He tells this to the police. He tells her, I don't think so. Because he, he says something very specific. And she said, Brian, I think that's the same car that was behind us earlier. So he, he says that directly to police um, and that Jennifer shared that with him. So after she goes home, so he's, Brian's now back at his apartment. She's back at her apartment. She makes a phone call. Um, phone records will 
uh, confirmed this phone call was made. She talks to an ex-boyfriend by the name of Dave Warren. Um, Warren will eventually tell police that him and Jennifer spoke about they were eventually going to meet in Dallas. I don't know if this was like work related or they were going to a convention of some sort, but they were going to be meeting in Dallas later that year. But he also tells police that she never said anything about being followed or being afraid of being followed or, or being afraid of someone watching. So I don't know. Would she have said something if she was really upset and afraid to someone else? So, so that person who is the last person to speak to Jennifer um, he says that she never said anything about that. So I don't know. Uh, two days later, the station's news director, Chris, calls the manager at the apartment complex for a welfare check on Servo. Now, she is off, um, I believe, that next day. But then um, nobody has heard from her, which they found very unusual, even though she wasn't supposed to report to work that initial first day. But that second day, they knew there was something wrong. They had not heard from her. Um, they, a fellow colleague goes to her apartment. So this is Abilene, Texas. They know what apartment complex she lives in. They start to get the alerts, right? The police scanner alerts from the news station Mm -hmm. that something's happening, right? That something's happening in this apartment. And they knew, I mean, right when they hear that they knew. And so what they did to pay respect is they got on the air that day because they're the news and they have to report it. They showed Jennifer's picture. They showed a candle. The girl who was delivering the news started to get a little choked up and then they cut the news off. Like that was their, that was their way to remember her because, you know, even though it was one of their colleagues, it was still something that was happening in their city. And we don't know who killed her, right? There's, there could be someone on the, on the loose, right? That's as far as they're concerned in Abilene at this time. They don't know who's done this. So they've got to cover the news. Uh, Travers and Sepulveda instantly become suspects. Travers lawyers up but cooperates with the police. Uh, Jennifer's family said that Travers stated to police that when he offered. So he tells them that he offered to walk Jennifer to her car and she said no. Her family and friends say that if she really thought she was being followed and somebody was watching them, she would have absolutely accepted his um, his invitation to walk to her car. Her family says almost like, and he said, I did it anyway. I did. I walked her anyway, even though she told me not to. Her family finds this comment very suspicious. So just think but about that for a minute. Too, I think, you know, Obviously, her time in the military, um, mm-hmm. that's not the mm-hmm. average woman does that. Is she the type that's really going to need somebody to walk her the car? I mean, I don't know. I've known a lot of – I, I don't know. I work with a lot of women in, that have, were former, formerly mm-hmm. in the military, and they don't strike me as a type, too, that need to – Would accept it. Or just need anybody to walk them the mm-hmm. car, even if they're – I mean, because, I don't know, you're you're – in the army, you were going to face some danger. So, I mean, I think you have a little bit different attitude towards it. I'm just saying her parents saying that she wouldn't, I mean, you can't say that who the hell knows. And also too, maybe right. because she was not trying to um, be serious or have any sort of serious relationship with this guy. Maybe, mm. you know, just trying to kind of keep that, uh, okay, I can that understand that. Yep. bit of distance. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's strange. She got an attorney because I think, I think in 2023, anytime mm-hmm. the cop calls you, even if you, I mean, even if you were a hundred miles away from any crime, mm-hmm. I think you'd get an attorney just because people want see so many things go wrong. But in this time, mm-hmm. I would think, you know, that if you did nothing, you wouldn't want an attorney, but I don't know. I mean, that I think that's strange too, that he would get an attorney right away. 
Attorneys. Cost, I don't know. You attorneys and I, cost money. Though. They do. I they mean, do cost like, money. It, it's not they do. Just like one of these things you just call somebody up. I mean, and, but I'll say I've, I, we talked about this last month on our Zoom. I'm lawyering up. If I'm a suspect and I'm innocent, you still get a lawyer. You no, know why? I, I think you do now. Into this. Oh, you're because, saying back I'm just then. saying 20 mm-hmm. years ago, I don't think that was that common. Just because a lawyer up. You yeah. would think, I mean, if you had nothing to do with it, I'm just saying. Yeah. I, mean, I think even yeah. now, if you had nothing to do with it, it's it's a no-brainer. You have to go drop some cash and, and yeah. go hire an attorney, Yeah. whether you're innocent or guilty. But I think, you know, if you're innocent, you're probably... I mean, especially too, just to, to go talk to police. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, who knows? They may have already talked to him and then asked him to come down the station at that point. Yeah. I mean, who knows? So no, they were. He was. Quest- they were questioned multiple times. Um, him and Ralph. But That's the difference. I, mean, I just wonder what point he lawyered up. You know, to like yeah. was it initial thing? Was it after being questioned? He realized, yeah. you know what? They keep they're really pointing the finger at me. I better. Do I would. I would assume it would probably have been the second time because Maybe he worked so. at the station, so they're going to talk to them first. And he's the last known person with her, and that wouldn't have taken that long to find out. They picked it up from a friend's apartment. I mean, as soon as this news got out, they would have said she was last with Brian. Yeah, you know. So they probably got to him um, very quickly. But the difference between him and Ralph is Ralph left Abilene. Okay, Sepulveda cooperated with police at first, but Chris, he leaves Texas. He gets a lawyer. He leaves Texas. He moves to Fort Lewis, Washington. He joins the Army Reserves back. Um, Police go up there. Police go up there to see him from Abilene. He gets very upset. Um, He tells them, you can talk to my lawyer. I'm not talking to you. I spoke to you in Abilene. Chris, that was the last time Ralph Sepulveda was spoken to by authorities about Jennifer's murder. Yeah, that's that is kind of strange too that they would only interview him. That's we see this. We just talked about this in another case in Lubbock, um, a case that that we have friends that are working on that are trying to solve a murder of someone else, and those people hadn't been interviewed, talked to by police since the day of the murder. Or within a week or two weeks. So this is doesn't seem to be a very uncommon thing. They need to go talk to him. We we see these cases over and over. Um, people forget after this long, Chris. People's stories change after this long. It's important to go back and find the inconsistencies. I, I Abilene police absolutely, you know, this is an open case. They haven't closed this case. This is an active investigation, and. If it is, they they need to be investigating, I guess is what I'm saying. I would agree. Um, Chris, both of their DNA was found in her apartment. But both men had relationships with Jennifer. So it's not it's not uncommon that they found their DNA. But but both men's DNA was found. But what I don't think police have based on the interviews and the research is one particular DNA at the crime scene. I do believe if they had that solid evidence and they had one specific DNA at that crime scene, this case would have been way solved. Some unexplained. Unexplained Ralph or Brian's DNA in blood or fingerprints in blood um, on her body. I don't know. Um, But, you know, I, I just think if they're lacking that. I feel like if they had that, they have both of their DNAs already. They've already found them in the apartment. I think if they could have really pinned one at the crime scene, they would have done that already. But we haven't seen that. 
Uh, police, Chris, have confirmed they are withholding some information from the public in this case. I don't know what the evidence is, but Jennifer's father has said multiple times that whoever committed this crime knew what they were doing on some level to cover it up. He believes his daughter's case will be solved by someone coming forward with information, not by the DNA. So that confirms my earlier statement that the DNA is there. It's just not putting anyone directly at the crime scene. Uh, I think Abilene police need to put a little more heat onto both of these men, not just one. It's been a long time, like I said. They can go back, ask some some important questions, look for inconsistencies. Um, we know to never give up hope because these cases are solved 40, 50, 60 years. Um, I think one of the two, Chris, are responsible for her death. I'm not a big coincidence person, and um, you have relationships with both of these men. There's a little bit of heat with one of them. Um, you know, we saw this in a female attack, another female case in Austin with the same exact thing. The woman literally had followed them around all day mm -hmm. and waited for him to drop her off, and then she killed her. She walked into her apartment and killed her for hanging out with her boyfriend all day. So it's not uncommon that we see these things. She made that phone call when she got into her part into her apartment. So I don't believe someone was waiting for her in her apartment. I feel like they would have attacked her when she walked in. I think they were watching her on the phone. I think they waited for her to get on off of the phone before approaching the apartment. Most, um, most likely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, that that's, I think for motive, we get back to just the common sense of, who would have benefited from her death and who was angry enough to murder her. Um, Jennifer's parents named her after a love song by Scottish singer Donovan. Um, it's, you know, Chris, I, I, her parents and I saw her father in an interview and he said his life changed from that day on. No parent should have to ever bury their child, no matter what age, if you have any information about the murder of Jennifer Servo, please contact your local police department or the Abilene PD. Um, but honey, I hope I hope this case gets solved. I, I think that if they just start asking some more questions and maybe go back and see if they missed anything and re you know re-interview some people, maybe they can they, maybe they can come up with some some something they missed. But honey, that concludes our 100th episode, The Murder of Jennifer Servo. If you want to see pictures related to this case, you can check them out on our Instagram and Facebook pages. And, and if you want to leave us a review, you can do that too. Yeah, we'll have food picks up as well. And um, yes, yeah, here's to 100th episode and 100 more. Honey, cheers to 100 cheers. episodes. Um, all right, friends. Well, I think we're going to we're going to stop here. Go see our friends over at Firelight Vineyards in Valley View, Texas. Thank you again Chris for a great dish. Um we well, truly thank appreciate you, Brandy, it. Thank you for a great story. <laughs> thank you. Jennifer um I, I you know Jennifer Servo and family, we hope this case gets solved. Again, if you have any information, please contact your local police department or the Abilene PD. Honey, until next time. Stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers, everybody.